From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, February 15th, 2018. This is episode number 42, Get Used to Disappointment. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host as usual. I'm joined by two wonderful guests this week. My friends, both of them, and it's, I'm happy that they're here. Serenity Caldwell, Managing Editor at iMore, joins us. Hello. Hi. I am glad to be here, Jason, as always. And you, of course, you also uh, host Query with our very own Stephen Hackett on Relay FM. So the connections, there are so many. (laughs) There are multitudinous. My good friend, James Thompson, developer of PCalc, the most graphically intense calculator slash game (laughs) ever is also here. Hi, James. Thanks for having me back on for such an auspiciously numbered episode. Okay. So I'm going to admit when I realized that it was download episode 42, um, which, of course, is the ultimate answer to the ultimate question of life, a universe, and everything in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. I immediately invited James on the episode just because it was number 42. The P-Calc icon has a 42. There's nobody else uh, who, I would, uh, who I would immediately invite on episode 42 <laughs> than James. So I'm glad that you made it. This is, uh, we brought our towels with us for this episode. Um, and with that, I guess I should say hello to who I mentioned earlier, Stephen Hackett. Hi, you're having a heck of a week, aren't you? It's been, yeah, it's, you know, a lot of travel. My neighbors are having their tree trimmed about eight feet from my office. So there's like dudes yelling in the background. I'm really sorry. Can't get too much about that. That's right. It's no, it is a level of like excitement to the podcast to have. Like you never <laughs> it, know when a tree is going to come down right in the middle of I the mean, podcast. Dudes in, I mean, if you've never seen someone trim a tree, it's terrifying. They have like ropes and chainsaws mm-hmm. and there's like, they're in the tree as they're cutting it down. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. What? That's right. Do something else. So get ready for that. There may be, there may be some tree felling happening uh, during the show. Uh, but we also have what we think are the most interesting stories of the week, as chosen by Stephen Hackett and myself. And topic number one, there has been a lot of discussion about the quality of Apple's software recently. I have two excellent guests to talk about this. Mark Gurman at Bloomberg reported this week that some iOS and macOS features are now on a two-year development cycle, uh, that teams can push features into future releases if they aren't ready. iOS 12 is going to include a smaller number of new features than you might expect, uh, and a bunch of big projects like a new home screen have been delayed. They're focusing more on stability and bug fixes, and uh, the big news WWDC may be this new idea of sort of create, uh, making it easier for iOS developers to create Mac software and perhaps vice versa. Also weighing in this week, Stephen Sanofsky, and it's funny, a few um, a few months ago on the Upgrade podcast, I mentioned that there are very few of us who are really qualified to understand how a giant software platform building operation works. And I said, like, Scott Forstall, who used to run it at Apple, and maybe Stephen Sanofsky at Microsoft, who used to run Windows, are about the only people who could really give us, like, they understand what, what the big issues are here. Guess what? Stephen Sanofsky did, like, a 
40 tweet tweet thread that he turned into a medium post uh, about this very <laughs> issue and had some really interesting perspectives on on how if you if you see the ship turning it's probably already been turned you just can't see it yet just fascinating stuff but i wanted to ask serenity and james about this issue uh james you're the software developer you used to work at apple in the operating system group um what do you think about the state of apple software quality and what they may be doing to change it yeah i mean uh, it should be pointed out that i'm a uh, a good two decades out yeah. from the the group at Apple. It's just a so two decade much. development cycle. What do you mean? You worked on OS ten. OS ten is brand new. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. I, I, yeah. So uh, I mean, Apple seems to be the victim of their own success in some ways. Here, you know, they've been tying all their big uh, operating system updates to the annual hardware cycle of the iPhone for you know a good few years now. You know, and that's even pulling in macOS and and all these other platforms because they like to have everything in sync. But that means that, you know, everything has to be ready for a certain date. And we could probably make a good guess which week iOS 12 is going to come out this September at this point. Uh, And you need to have a working build to give out to developers at WWDC in June. So you're looking at, you know, six, seven months in which you can design and implement uh, all the key new features that you want for the OS. And, you know, that's stressful enough for third-party app developers like myself. You know, I've got to have four different versions of Peacock ready for the same point of the year. But I imagine it's so much more stressful uh, on the engineers there. Um, I mean, before, like, Lion, we had, you know, two years between major macOS updates was fairly normal. Um, I mean, System 7 lasted about six years, even if a lot of the updates in it were fairly major. So, you know, they keep adding new platforms, including some we probably don't know about yet. Uh, And, yeah, I think that nobody inside Apple wants to ship a bad product, and uh, Stephen Sanofsky's argument about this, he, he says, you know, they had this term conversation 37 at Microsoft, which was when somebody says, you know, oh, do we want features? Do we want to hit the schedule or do we want quality? That this came up so often that they'd come up with a name for it. His argument was that Apple's OSs are better than they've ever really been in terms of quality, but you have a significant chunk of the planet using them now. So any bug is going to affect a significant number of people. Uh, I also think in terms, in turn, it gets amplified by the press because everybody likes an Apple story. So, you know, perception is reality the home pod is that speaker that leaves white rings on tables you know i read it on the front page of the bbc yesterday so it has to be true even if as it turns out today sonos and echo speakers are doing exactly the same thing so yeah i i think it's a combination that the the apple is being is being too uh uh too stretched by all the platforms they've got but i think they're doing extremely well for what they're trying to do yeah i i tend to agree um with james here and also with uh with steven's super tweet which i really appreciate the the medium version of that thread by the way um in that yeah there i think scale really does have a a a big thing to look at this, uh, especially when you look at the the most recent Fufura over HomePod, um, where obviously there are some there are some mistakes and errors on Apple's part, but at the same time the story is huge because oh 
X number of people just bought an, a HomePod. The HomePod is Apple's latest product. Let's talk about it incessantly. Whereas when the Sonos One came out, you know, back in November, you know, we had a couple of review stories on it. Um, people were comparing it to, to other speakers. But Sonos One coverage pretty much died out after the first day or two that it was available. You know, you just, you, you didn't hear a whole ton about it. Whereas HomePod, I feel like, has just been taking over the narrative, right? Where whether it's, oh, well, it's not as, you know, it doesn't have Spotify or, oh, it's leaving white rings on tables or, you know, God, God knows what's next uh, or Siri bugs, which we, we hear about constantly. Um, it's not to say that Apple doesn't have issues and doesn't have problems in these areas and things that they need to fix. Um, but I do think that Sanofsky is right and that they get overwhelmingly amplified in a way that, uh, that other companies, uh, because of their scale, maybe don't have as much of an issue with. Um, that's, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's balancing the, the narrative between, you know, yes, these, there are bugs and yes, there are problems, but perhaps are we like, are we blowing them out of proportion from the, it's a bug, it needs to get fixed to, it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of technology. Apple should be ashamed. Well, I mean, that's like, that's fine, but all of that has to be balanced against the fact that Apple itself is making changes here. And so clearly they are also unhappy with the narrative, whether it be fair or not. And I think it's fair um, that they are unhappy with the response they're getting from customers. And I think they're not proud. I mean, Everyone I know who has ever worked at Apple, past or present, is extremely proud of the work they do, as they should be, as as employees of any large company should be who do good work. Um, and so I think the most interesting part of this is not the press angle, but the fact that Apple itself, it, its software boss, according to this report, sat down with developers and said, we are going to have a massive change of pace. And I think a lot of people have heard that you know, that Apple may have more bugs than it used to, or may have fewer, but again, it's worse because they're bigger, but whatever the case may be on that spectrum, I I find it encouraging that Apple itself is agreeing with that rhetoric and they may not acknowledge it publicly, but them slowing down iOS 12 being less of a major release is a big change. And one that I hope moves the ball forward on these, on these problems. And if they do all this and we're still having this conversation in two years, then I think there's bigger things to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I And I agree with you. I think that, you know, Apple is one of the biggest companies in the world at this point, and they have certainly a gigantic amount of cash to throw around. Um, if they were continuing to push forward without acknowledging the, the issues that are happening um, and ways to fix it, you know, with that amount of cash, I mean, geez, you could, you could hire an entire company's worth of QA engineers and just, but the, it's, it's a question of how much, you know, how much talent can you get in that specific area? How many good QA engineers can you, like, you might have all the money in the world, but are you going to be able to hire enough people that are catching the bugs that aren't letting things slip through the cracks to, to counterbalance. So I, I think you're right, Stephen, in that the next few years are going to be really interesting to see how Apple kind of tackles this. We're bigger than ever. We have more resources than ever. But how do we use those resources effectively so that our customers continue to be happy? I mean, I think it's also it's not just a question of testing, because 
you're running out of bandwidth for the actual engineers who are writing the stuff. I'm sure they know about a lot of the problems. I mean, Apple has this bug tracking database called Radar. And if you log a bug and then five minutes later log another bug, the number of bugs has jumped, you know, by thousands. So they're coming in so fast. And I... Everything is probably known about, you know, if people are complaining, there may be a bug. Well, there probably definitely is a bug now about HomePods leaving rings on on tables. Um, <laughs> I, but that might have existed. And, and somebody said, you know, you know, it's a question of they give uh, cl- classifications to all the bugs. So P1 bugs are the sort of the major blocking bugs. They must be fixed. And then it's sort of P2, P3, P4 and so on. And, you know, the... The P1s are obviously the ones that are going to get the attention and other stuff. Well, they'll say, well, you know, we can't we can't fix that now because we don't have enough uh, engineers uh, and we don't have enough time. So we'll punt that out to the next dot release or the next main release. I think one of the things to keep in mind, and I, I, I don't want to absolve Apple of anything here because the fact is that I, I do feel it. Every All of us feel it like there's something going on in terms of these uh, bugs emerging and uh, frustrations. It's not that they aren't moving the platform forward in other areas. For example, transferring to a new iPhone is vastly superior than it was even two years ago. But I will point out the same people who are going to write about all of these bugs and how Apple software quality has gone downhill are probably going to, when there's an operating system release that doesn't have a lot of new features in it, going to write about how disappointing Apple's boring new software release is. And this is, and I'm not trying to blame the press as much as to say that Apple and other companies like it is caught in between here where people want what what James was saying about that conversation at Microsoft. People want all the new features and they want them now and they want them to be perfect. And when you slow down, you're just opening yourself up as as a, a vendor to the a different kind of criticism, which is that you're moving too slowly. And, you know, it does feel like operating systems, phone operating systems in general are probably at a place where slowing down is smart for all concerned. But I just I, I just want to point out, I think it's human nature. We want everything to be bug free, but we also get really disappointed when that new feature, like I felt this when they said th- these iPad features and the new home screen are going to be pushed off until 2019. I was like, oh, man, I really wanted those. Like, yeah, but you can't have all of the things you have to pick. Do you want more stability or do you want a whole bunch of buggy new features? And that's that's just human nature. If you're changing how the home screen works for like uh, a billion people, you better get that right. The HomePod, uh, just going back to it, like there's a very good reason why AirPlay 2 did not launch with the HomePod uh, when the HomePod finally arrived. And that's probably due to the reliability of how it's working and the latency-free aspect and all of that. And sure, we got a lot of frustration from people when AirPlay 2 didn't ship with the HomePod's launch. But the flip side of that is, well, they could have released something that was incredibly buggy, and then we would have gotten a narrative, oh, AirPlay is broken, and Apple doesn't know what they're doing, and Apple, you know, why are they, why are they releasing? So, like you say, it's a, double, it's a double-edged sword. Well, we will, uh, we will watch it uh, over time. This will, will take the long view. Again, another aspect of human nature is we always want to see the results of everything immediately, and that also doesn't happen. So we will see that <laughs> ship turning, um, and this summer, 
when the next iOS beta comes out. It'll be interesting to see what everybody's take on it is. So watch those watch those reactions to see how many people say it's really boring that it doesn't have as many new features as they wanted. Uh, we have a lot more to talk about here on Download. Uh, but before we do that, I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Enter offer code DOWNLOADFM at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace is a company that lets you easily create a website for whatever your next idea is. You can get a unique domain. You can use their award-winning templates. There's a whole lot more. If you want to create an online store, you want to sell stuff to everybody on the internet, you can do that with Squarespace. You can make a portfolio for your work. You can create a blog and get your thoughts out there. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. It'll let you do all of those things. You don't have to install any software. You don't have to worry about security bugs that lead to security patches and reboots and things like that. Upgrades to software. Squarespace handles that. You don't even see it. You just use Squarespace. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you run into a wall and you're like, how do I do this on Squarespace? You probably can do it and there will be somebody there to let you help. They get you uh, a domain name for your project. You can quickly and easily grab one right within Squarespace and that'll be where people will go to see your site. All of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed to show off your great ideas. Plans start at a mind-blowing just $12 a month for a complete website. It's amazing. And you can start a trial with no credit card request required by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code DOWNLOADFM and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and you'll show your support for this show. Download. Thank you to Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Topic number two, speaking of software development, Snapchat (laughs) just did a major redesign of its app and the Snapchat user base is experiencing... Uh, well, the way I put this is, finally, teenagers are getting to learn. Today's teenagers are learning what the rest of us learned long ago, which is what happens when a favorite app or service gets changed. And the answer is, you hate it. Uh, Snapchat split the app into two sections, consolidating friend content on the left side, media content on the right, installing a slew of other design changes. There was actually a fake tweet saying that Snapchat would revert back to its old design if it got enough retweets. That fake tweet received 1.4 million retweets. It's the sixth most retweeted tweet of all time. There's a there's a petition because everything's got a petition on the internet with more than a million signatures. Uh, okay, so we're all too old for Snapchat, but <laughs> probably. My, I talked to my daughter, by the way, and I said, so how's that Snapchat redesign? And she just went, oh, it's terrible. And I was like, all right. And I said, well, <laughs> learn to live with disappointment. This is what it's like to get, to get older is that your favorite things keep getting changed and ruined. Um, so I, I just, I, I, I understand that we're probably not heavy Snapchat users here, but um, what do you think about this story, this idea of that, you know, Snapchat's trying to broaden its appeal, I think, but they do risk undermining their core appeal with their core audience that's very upset that that their favorite thing has changed. Ren, what do you think? Oh, boy. Well, I am not a Snapchat user, uh, but I am an Instagram stories user. So I feel like maybe I'm I'm the the boring the boring dad like the, the yeah boring that's what old people Snapchat. say but okay I uh, <laughs> I'm the boring dad I'm not even a dad or over thirty anyway uh, <laughs> I empathize with people who have especially given how much time people put into Snapchat I have to think about the the Facebook redesign from way back when what two thousand eight two thousand nine. Um, where they completely overhauled profile pages and everybody 
freaked out. I, from what I understand, and again, as a non-Snapchat user, maybe I'm not the best person to, to talk about this, uh, but the, the core functionality of the app is still there. They're just trying to separate it more into like personal sections and and the media group sections, which is actually fairly f- similar to what Facebook is trying to do now with like m- moving it so that you're not you're seeing lots of more personal stories in your feed instead of media stories. Um, but it's had the adverse effect of hiding a lot of easily accessible things in Snapchat. Uh, and it's ruining people's, you know, back and forth Snapchat streaks and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Uh, so I'm... I'm I am conflicted because I agree with you, Jason. It's there. There is definitely a a flavor of learn to live with disappointment. This is a publicly traded company <laughs> who, uh, you know, they have to make money for their shareholders. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, if all of your users revolt uh, and the vast majority, like even if you're even if Snapchat is trying to make itself more user like general user accessible, uh, the teens the teen, you know, the youths, they are still the primary use user base of Snapchat. And if you upset them to the point where they have alternatives like Instagram stories and the like, um, that's the dangerous part, right? Right. At the current point, I think people can be really upset with Snapchat, but there's really not an alternative, a good alternative that does the same thing. But say, if Facebook and Instagram were tomorrow to come out with a version of Streaks, and then it's like, look, now all of the Snapchat features that you normally use are now available on Instagram stories or Facebook stories. I think it would be a lot easier for people to leave and then snapchat would be in a much more precarious situation so i mean snapchat has uh 187 million daily active users or something like that so if this is kind of like the apple problem if you even just annoy one percent of them you're still talking about two million people which is certainly enough to write a news story about and get coverage so uh a it's not clear how many people are annoyed by this or whether it's the people who are annoyed are very loud and vocal. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm not really, well, I'm not a Snapchat user at all. Uh, It was one of the first things that I realized that I didn't get and realized that I was therefore old. Um, (laughs) I have it installed and I have an account, but I have no friends. Um, Since it's the 42nd episode, there's a good Douglas Adams quote about technology, and it's uh, anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is just a natural part of the way the world works. Anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary, and you can probably get a career in it. Anything that's invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. And I was 34 when the iPhone came out, and I've managed a career in that. I was 38 when Snapchat came out, and I don't understand it at all. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it still bothers me that Command N in the Finder doesn't create a new folder. Yeah, see, and that's been that's been going on like 18 years or something now. I mean, ask John Syracuse what he thinks of the Mac OS 10 Finder. Um, I, I'm still annoyed with the change when Sonos went to Solaris. So that was BSD to System 5, and that was 25 years ago. So, you know, they'll get over it, but they'll still remember fondly whatever version of Snapchat uh, for, from their formative years. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's like the change 
it's like uh, Facebook and Twitter, you know, they want to do their algorithmic sorting of timelines and people just want linear timelines and they're trying to get their numbers up and revenue. And, you know, there's this, I think there's this, an adage in business that if you're not annoying some people, then you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, I mean, I and again, I, I think it's interesting that Snapchat is so beloved and that's an asset for them, but they do feel like they need to advance and change. And I have seen that, you know, play out uh, at companies I've worked for as well as uh, companies that I've written about that this is, this is an, an, an issue where you don't want to upset the user base that has given you life, but at the same time, you risk being completely insular if all you do is cater to them and you want to keep growing. And, you know, it, it happens time and again from a user perspective, though. And I, I mean, I, I joke about this, but I'm also serious about it like we all do have that moment when we have this favorite thing that works a certain way and it's a service or it's software or whatever it is and then they change it and change is hard and you may never like that change you might have really liked it the way it was you might get you might get used to it that happens a lot people get grumpy and then they get used to it but sometimes you have that moment where you think ah i remember microsoft word 5.1 and (laughs) then they bring out word 6 and you go everything is terrible and i hate Microsoft. And uh, that's that Snapchat is uh, introducing a whole new generation to that feeling right now, which just sort of warms my heart, even though I feel bad for them. It's like, yeah, welcome. This is life. That's what that's how it how it goes. Anyway, my daughter was not happy about this. She rolled her eyes at me when I <laughs> said, get used to disappointment. So, oh, well. Welcome to technology. <laughs> yeah. T- technology will disappoint you. Oh, my God. I think we need a fuzzy puppy update, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet, Stephen. No fuzzy puppies yet. We have more topics instead. Oh, all right. Everybody prepare yourself. Get ready. We've got more topics. Start to start to. Get yourself in a good emotional place, and I'll tell you about our next sponsor, which is Pingdom. Uh, This episode brought to you by the good friends that we have over at Pingdom. Pingdom has saved my bacon more than once. Pingdom helps keep your sites and the sites you love online. They monitor your site so you don't have to and give you real-time feedback so you know exactly what is going on. If your website was down right now, if visitors couldn't access your content, couldn't click on that buy button, how would you know? You wouldn't know until it was too late. You will have lost users, you will have lost sales, and that's why you need Pingdom. They'll give you peace of mind. They'll let you know the moment your site goes down. They're dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website is a breeze. They use more than 70 different global test servers to emulate visits to your site. They're checking its availability as often as every minute. It. Start monitoring your site today. All Pingdom needs is your site's URL. They will take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. Right now, you'll get a 14-day free trial. You don't have to give them your credit card. And when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting this show and RelayFM. Now it's time for the story you might have missed, something that flew under the radar, but might be worth mentioning. Uh, Steven nominated this one, Magic Leap. Uh, remember them? CEO Ronnie Abovitz spoke at Recode's Code Media Conference, which I think is just wrapping up as we speak. And they announced that the company won't have one product, but several across different price tiers. No pricing or concrete release dates were announced. That is not a surprise for Magic Leap. Just if you've forgotten what Magic Leap does, it was founded in 2010, uh, has raised... More, more well, almost two billion dollars in funding to date to build augmented reality products using light field technology. The company did say whenever the product does ship, customers can enjoy basketball content thanks to a partnership with the NBA. It's unclear what that actually means. 
uh, but Shaquille O'Neal seemed impressed. Um, Magic Leap, is this just a... Uh, are we... I, I hear people who are excited about it, but it's always seemed like kind of smoke and mirrors to me. Yeah, I'm I'm in that category. And that photo of Shaq wearing the Magic Leap, I'm like, how many millions of dollars did they pay you to, to say, oh, this is a real product and I'm enjoying it so much? That's what it feels to me right now. It just, it feels like uh, the, the world's biggest uh, fake news scam. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, you know what, when a product finally ships, uh, and when I finally get my hands on it, maybe that'll be something mm. different. But for now, it just it feels silly and fake. Yeah, I mean, I am 100% here for augmented reality glasses, but these make you look like Bono in the 90s if he'd read too many William Gibson novels. And they're still the best looking headsets out there. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to look more ridiculous than Keanu Reeves and Johnny Mnemonic, but Shaquille O'Neal manages it in that promo video. Um, I mean, I've read the... uh, I think it was Rolling Stone got to play with the those uh, glasses. Like the, the ones they're showing, I think, are pretty close to what they're going to ship. And they said they were good. Um, they had a limited field of view, but better than the Microsoft HoloLens stuff. Uh, but, you know, I just don't think they're ready yet. And they're, they're saying that they're going to be around the price of a high-end phone. So, you know, $1,000 roughly around that point. And I don't know who is going to buy them. Um, I mean, they're calling this a, was it a creator, developer, something. I mean, it's, it's more than just a developer preview. They're trying to get these into the hands of uh, consumers to to some degree, but they're not intended for mass market. Um, but if you look at it, it's not just the glasses. There's a pod that goes like on your belt or something with a, a right. wire going up your back. And, you know, you can see that that could, that pod could easily be a phone uh, if you're getting to Apple's version of this. Um, but I, I just, I don't think it's there yet. I mean, I love VR. I love um, I love the VR that I have used. I haven't used any AR except through a phone. Uh, and I just think with these uh, goggles, uh, because they cover your eyes, they're never going to catch on in any situation where you have to interact with other human beings. Yeah, it's a... Uh uh, you know, anytime you've got a lot of marketing and eight years go by, there is that question, like, is this going to be real or not? And they have, to their credit, you know, they are hyping this thing and have been hyping it for a while. They've raised a lot of money. That's all good. But it does raise the stakes for when the final, you know, actual product comes out. And I don't know. It just, it sets, it sets us all my alarm bells, but it could be great. It could be that they took their time and they spent their money wisely and they're going to have a, an amazing magical revolutionary product. I just, I don't know when they're, I, it, they're no, no company is helped by a, a CEO who uh, like overhypes everything. And then, you know, because that just ratchets up the, the need to, to deliver. Um, Stephen and I talk about this regarding Elon Musk, but like Ronnie Abovitz, he just recently at, at the Code Conference also talked about how in two to five years, there would be volumetric holograms on live TV. And it's like, that's not going to happen. It's just, it's, it's, it's not going to happen that fast. Why are you talking? Why are you hyping this like that? Um, and that addiction to kind of hype, hype language, I think, turns me off. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at a company that also has a, a fair amount of hype li- uh, language like SpaceX or any of Elon Musk's 
uh, various ventures. It's like SpaceX is behind on where it wants to be. Tesla is behind on where it wants to be. But both of these companies are still shipping things, right? Where it's like the Falcon Heavy still managed to lift off into space, land two of its three, you know, boosters and put a car in space. Despite maybe it wasn't on the right timeline, but it still happened. And I think that's where I am with right. Magic Leap is like when we can actually see something tangible uh, or I guess intangible because it's AR. Uh, but we can actually see something that's not just one journalist was invited into our secret labs to have a, a view, but they can't say anything specific. Once we get past that, then I'll give Magic Leap a little bit more credibility until that point. Mm. I, I can see Magic Leap turning into the pebble of the AR world. <laughs> In that they come out with something a year earlier or two years earlier, and then Apple comes along and eats their lunch. I, I don't know, James. A belt pack with crazy space glasses. It looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, um, okay, we do have one more proper topic to talk about before we do that i will tell you about our last sponsor on this episode it is screencast omatic screencast omatic is an easy to use screen recorder and video editing tool making collaboration and communication simple for everyone you can use it to record video announcements marketing presentations meetings webinars social learnings video tutorials all using a mac a pc or a chromebook the screencast omatic video editor lets you add text image overlays and animations you can add music narration and captions to make your videos shine. You can easily share and publish your video creations to the world. Everything you need for your video is all in one tool with Screencast-O-Matic. For a limited time only, you can get started with 50% off a year's subscription at screencast-o-matic.com slash download 50. That's screencast-whatever-you-want-to-call-it-o, the letter o-matic.com slash download 50, or just click the link in the show notes in the podcast app you're using now but act fast that deal won't be around forever thank you screencast-o-matic for supporting download topic number three is facebook boy we've been circling around this i think we need to dive in at least momentarily uh wired posted a very long feature story this week about uh the last two years of uh facebook and social media content sharing and uh leaks from a contractor working on the trending topics team that spiraled into a deep crisis about whether the social media company was a uh, a new kind of uh, company it's a no 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 many on the outside disagreed back in january zuck Zuckerberg and Facebook said they're focusing on downplaying the weight, uh, the weighting of news, real or otherwise, in the feed. Uh, they seem to be okay about the fact that people are spending a little less time on the network because they want to promote meaningful conversations. Um, what will, I mean, there are a lot of stories here to talk about the de-emphasis of news and how that will impact publishers, how it impacts the users of Facebook, what the end game is for Facebook. Uh, so what do you think, uh, both of you? I, I don't know. I use, I'm a light user of Facebook. I am definitely not a heavy user of Facebook. Um, I appreciate it when a company says we're going to maybe reduce engagement, but make the engagement better, but it's Facebook. I'm also a little suspicious. Ren, what do you think about this? Yeah. I I just don't love the fact that the we are essentially putting the delivery of news and the delivery of potentially vital information into the hands of a private company. 
Um, I mean, we could, I guess, argue that all news organizations are private companies and therefore that's, you know, it's, it's always targeted and delivered. But I just, it's the combination of a private, you know, having sort of a private company overseeing this and then building algorithms, uh, that can very easily be fooled by bad actors or AI or any number of, of issues. I mean, we've all seen the reports on, you know, how the election was influenced by certain Facebook ad buys and all of that. And I just, I don't believe that how Facebook is going about this is really going to, f- to fix anything. I think we've, at this point, we've kind of dug ourselves into a hole. And I would put myself in the same kind of general category that you are, Jason. I use Facebook primarily f- to connect with roller derby people. So I don't have, you know, I don't really use it for personal identifying information. I don't really use it for talking to anybody outside the derby circle, but it's still terrifying because a, quite a lot of my derby friends do use it for their their day-to-day social media interactions. And I've seen people frequently like repost or share stories that simply are, you know, not factual or quotes taken out of context or things like that. It's just, it's so easy for that kind of information to get amplified and twisted and I, I maybe this is a conversation about how we use social media at large. I mean, it, it we could argue that Twitter is having a much lesser issue, but it's still the same same basic uh, problem, um, which is just how do you how do you deal with the evolution of the social media landscape when it's not just we're talking to each other about our day, but we're we're using this this network to to gain information about what we should do or or how our lives should uh should interact with with uh news i just i don't know i'm i'm left kind of at a loss for it to be honest yeah i mean i think it's good that zuckerberg has had his oppenheimer moment and realized that he's become death the destroyer of worlds but <laughs> you know it's a bit late uh, I don't know that the the genie can be stuffed back into the bottle um, from where we are currently. I mean, it, it's not just the U.S. political landscape that's apparently been influenced by people and uh, use, maliciously using social media, because uh, we have Brexit in the UK as well. And I, yeah, I, I I mean, I'd love to believe that he's had this moment and is and they're going to change the direction of the platform but it is still an advertising platform at heart i mean that's its purpose and uh it's still going to be tracking as much information as it humanly can about everyone yeah there's another part of the story is the 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 facebook app is now recommending this uh vpn client the was it onavo or something uh which is the vpn that they own and there's there's a protect link has appeared in the in the ios app in the uk and the us i believe and they want you to install a, a vpn and they want it so that they can see all the traffic uh that's going across that vpn and see perhaps what you're doing or what people in general are doing on other social networks and things like that and that just does not seem to be the action of a company that has you know seen the light as it were a big company like this i I learned this lesson um, a few years ago i was working on a project with google and what i learned was they i i learned that um the engineers i worked with were great 
they were amazing they were smart they were funny they were uh they understood they wanted to learn about my needs uh as the partner on the project uh really good uh, interaction and then there was this whole other level of google that was the business side basically and a bunch of lawyers and uh a lot of the stuff that the engineers and i agreed to when the when the business team and the legal team got their hands there was a whole uh, walking back of a bunch of things we had worked on and it became this really unpleasant situation and i the lesson i learned from that is that you can have a company even even if the person at the top says one thing they may also be providing incentives to people in other parts of the company that force their behavior to be uh, the opposite. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't believe what they're saying, but they haven't, you know, been able to change the incentives throughout the organization. And that VPN story, which came out this week, and I was going to mention the idea that Facebook wants you to protect yourself with a VPN that lets them look at everything that you do on your device, not just when you're uh. in Facebook. <laughs> that is... Uh, you know, that I understand the incentive for Facebook there, but it does, you know, Facebook is huge and they are an advertising platform and they want user user data. And, you know, is, is the story here that Facebook really wants to seem non-threatening and not a negative social force because they they really want to be everywhere and know everything. And they can't do that if they, they you can't rule the world if you've destroyed it. Hmm. Uh, any other thoughts about Facebook? I mean, we talk about Facebook a lot here. Facebook's so powerful, and yet, in some ways, it is so hard to comprehend as a whole. And, of course, everybody's view of Facebook is different because it's all personalized. So, one person's Facebook experience is not necessarily another one's. Yeah, I... It's uh, like I I don't have anything other than this dread in the pit of my stomach where I, I just look at... I look at where Facebook has gone and where Facebook started... And I really don't have a a good idea or a good prediction to make that doesn't sound like it's straight out of a William Gibson novel. And I don't feel like being that alarmist on a public podcast. So I'm just for now, I'm going to be like, <laughs> it's concerning to me. I appreciate that Zuckerberg recognizes why it's concerning. But I but like you said, Jason, I just I don't see them being able to. To ba- I feel like this this is a perpetual motion machine that has, you know, started its motion and now it will never be shut off. It just can't like th- where where mm. we go from here, we're still going. It's not I don't know if we can redirect it for good or whether it's just going to, you know, jump off of that track and just go where where the user base demands it goes. You know, it's a I it, it bugs me. And uh, that's that's about all I can say. Yeah, I mean, there's one of the things when people are talking about video games at the moment, they're talking about uh, microtransactions and the sort of free-to-play mechanics creeping into full-price games. So you pay your $60 and then you're subject to the sort of free-to-play stuff. And one of the things about that is, you know, as soon as you start to put these free-to-play mechanics into a game, it changes the game, you know. Even subconsciously, just things get slowly biased towards pushing to you towards, uh, you know, making it slightly harder to get a certain thing. So maybe you'll just pay the money and get it. And and I think with Facebook in in the same way, you know, the way that they make money is to serve advertising to to the users. And that is going to influence pretty much everything that they do even subconsciously and uh, that's kind of why i like 
Apple in the Apple's business is selling you expensive, shiny things and not uh, selling your details to advertisers. And I think that just means that they're going to be slightly more aligned with what I want uh, done with my data and my information. Um, but yeah, just thinking of William Gibson, of course, since Facebook owns Oculus, you know, we, we, we're heading that way rapidly. Oh boy. Uh, I feel like, so for people who feel like they need a fuzzy puppy update right now, this is why we started the fuzzy puppy update is because we talked about Facebook and everybody got dis- depressed. So here it is. <laughs> uh, Steven did not manage to slide any computer monitors in the fuzzy puppy update this week. Haha. I tried. Yeah, I, I tried. I'm sure you did. Uh, so we're going to go back to actual puppies. Uh, a video posted by The Verge says you can spend $50,000 and get your dog cloned. Don't do that. Go adopt another dog at a shelter or from a rescue or something like that. Don't don't clone your I know your dog is great. There are other great dogs out there. Don't Don't spend money cloning your dog. Instead... Do what New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and his family did, which was get a just get a dog. They got a new dog. His name is Captain. He's 14 weeks old. He's a Siberian and German Shepherd mix, very much like the dog that I had when I was a when I was a kid. Our our dog was a kind of husky shepherd mix. Not a, not even a not even a purebred dog. You know what? Because that's fine. You can just get a dog, and dogs are great. Uh, now the governor said he wanted to name the dog Excelsior. After the state motto, uh, you'll note that I said his name is Captain. His daughters apparently were like, "No, we're we're not going to do that." Uh, good, good job, Cuomo daughters. Don't let Dad name the dog after the state motto, please. But fourteen-week-old puppy, he, he just—if uh, you see a picture of him, he's adorable as puppies are. So that's my fuzzy puppy update. Forget that Verge video. Uh, just uh, the, the state of New York has a has a fuzzy, a fuzzy puppy of its own now. Hooray! Now, uh, in the week ahead, I have no idea what's going to go on between this week and next week. I'm pretty sure I'll just be watching the Olympics the whole time. Are there other TV shows? I don't know. I've stopped. I've completely <laughs> ceased. Peak, we, we live in an era of peak TV. In fact, my friend Tim Goodman, who writes about TV at The Hollywood Reporter, wrote a whole piece at The Hollywood Reporter this week about how peak TV has ceased because we're all just watching the Winter Olympics, which is great TV. It's great TV. So I'll be back to peak TV in a little more than a week. But in, st- in the meantime, I care a lot about curling and skeleton and other things that I never <laughs> other... Well, I kind of like curling all the time, but a lot of sports that I don't care about and then I really care about whether that... The figure skater can hit that quad and then uh and then i don't care anymore for four years but that's the beauty of the winter olympics uh really quickly on the winter olympics if uh if folks haven't been looking at leslie jones um of ghostbusters <laughs> fame she has been she has been uh dubbing over certain aspects of uh certain like programs and things like that and her commentary is amazing it is the best way in my opinion to watch the winter olympics so definitely give her twitter feed a a check if you have not yet seen it because it 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 fills me with joy in these dark times yeah i will also say as a west coaster that uh this is the best olympics ever because we get to see everything live people on the people who aren't in the united states or are on the east coast might not understand that it used to be that even if stuff was slightly tape delayed for the east coast and sometimes it would be live it was all three hours later on the west coast 
and now it's live. It's great. It's it's awesome. So I've got that going for me now. I was going to say that uh, f- for us in the UK, the the stuff begins at something like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So while there has been a certain amount of live viewing, it has uh, ended up with people going to bed at four in the morning and regretting all their decisions the next day. <laughs> yeah, the, the standard NBC window in America is they start at 8 p.m. with the, the I mean, it's on cable channels. 24 hours basically but uh the main stuff is on the network starting at 8 p.m eastern and then running until sometimes midnight or one or two in the morning but guess what now it's live in the west coast so it just starts at five o'clock and it's on until you go to bed it's great it's been this this uh, the next three olympics are in uh asia and uh it, it's that's looking good for the west coast of the united states in terms <laughs> of time i have to say uh, yeah, it's fun though. It's been fun to watch it, and uh, and everything's streaming too. On I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but I think NBC's done a decent job in, in for the U.S. coverage and in, in making everything sort of available. All the international broadcast stuff is available live on their apps. Their app for the Apple TV, by the way, is terrible, but uh, all the content is good. So I'm watching a lot of curling. Just saying, a lot of curling. All right, that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Serenity Caldwell, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, well, they can, of, or, of course, find me on uh, Relay FM with uh, doing Query with Stephen Hackett. They can also find me on iMore, talking about all things consumer technology, uh, and on Twitter and Instagram, at Saturn. Very nice. James Thompson, where can people find the stuff that you do? Well, um, you can follow me on Twitter, at James Thompson, no P in Thompson. Uh, go to peakout.com for my app and find me occasionally on the fabulous Incomparable uh, Podcasting yes. Network. Yes, yeah, I was going to say you can find James in the About Box for Peacock. He, he left his <laughs> he left his he left his car in there. <laughs> There's a panda wearing a traffic cone for a, a hat, uh, which will, is a special reference for Glasgow people. Very nice. Yay! And uh, Stephen Hackett, thanks for putting the show together as always. You bet. And I've been your host, Jason Snell. Until next week, we will be watching the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody.